welcome to I Hope I Can Make It Through, Degrassi Viewing Podcast. I'm your veteran, Donnie. I'm your uh, fist-in-the-air neophyte, Frank. And today, we're checking out Degrassi, The Next Generation, Season 3, Episode 16, Take On Me. Now, to help us through this episode that is all about the Breakfast Club, question mark, is one of our buddies, Jazz. Hey, Jazz. Hello, friends. So... It's very exciting because this before we even get into anything, content warnings, anything, I do want to admit that as a kid, this was an episode I really, really liked. Yeah. So I uh, was... When I say. <laughs> I know, as if you knew me back then. Um, I loved this episode as a kid, so I'm going to have a big old bias because revisiting it, and I don't want to give too many spoilers, but revisiting it was a joy. Yeah. Yeah, I honestly agree. <laughs> It was a breath of fresh air after the slog that we've had recently in season three. Um, <laughs> but before we get too far into it, I do want to stick a couple content warnings. Um, this episode is going to talk a bit about self-harm. Um, it's going to mention cancer. There's a bit of internalized ableism. And also a general content warning. We are going to be talking about The Breakfast Club. So there's a lot of issues in that movie which may or may not get brought up. Um, so be prepared because we may go into areas such as like the the like you know the very fast and loose use of sexual assault and discussion of sexual assault in that movie um, and a lot of the other issues that that movie really suffers from. And considering I'm at the table and I've seen Sixteen Candles, there's also going to be talk about racism. Yes. So. It's good to kind of be aware that we will probably get into that a little bit because I feel like it would be, you know, kind of foolish not to, really. Oh. But before we get too far into that, Jazz, would you like to introduce our A and vaguely B plot? Um, I just summed it all up in one with a, a Breakfast Club party that somehow ages way better than the content it's homage to. Yes. I think that's about it, because <laughs> I, I decided for this podcast, I was going to dedicate myself to my craft, and I was like, well, you know, I've never seen The Breakfast Club. I always liked this episode, but I'm going to try and watch The Breakfast Club, so I did. <sighs> Thanks to Jazz, who helped me find a way to watch it. Wink, wink. Nudge. Don't put this on me. I just think I did a bad thing. <laughs> no, 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 no. You helped me, because... You help me. I'm just trying not to be overt how. Uh, you're my yeah, accomplice. Yes, I, I assisted in, in a way that a person of my means can assist. <laughs> I, I definitely took an action. <laughs> I did a thing. Yes, um, and so I was able to finally watch this. I mean, it is kind of... I feel like I have not hid this fact on the podcast, but in general, like, I, there are a lot of movies I just haven't seen. I am better at watching TV than watching movies continuously. So because of that, there are a lot of chunks of cinema that I've just never seen before. I've always said I'm going to get to it, or I just kind of went, eh, I don't have to. Um, and I feel like 80s teen comedies in general is like, or whatever this is, dramedies, I don't know what genre Breakfast Club falls under. But Shit. that's yes, that's what I would call it. Um, but um, all of these these movies, I just never watched as a kid. I just they never really 
spoke to me particularly, so I never, when I was the right age group for it, I never watched it, so then by the time I was an adult, like, why was I gonna watch that? I was gonna rewatch the same five movies I always watch, like. <laughs> whatever. Yeah, relatable. <laughs> well, I mean, that was, that was one of the catalysts why Susan and I started Teen Girl Talk, was just like, let's, this will be a good way to check out new stuff, like, we're, for, we're doing a sports month right now. Cute. Um, and we're watching in a, a Hindi, or excuse me, Indian wrestling movie mm-hmm. um, that's on Netflix about a father who wants his two daughters to become, like, national wrestlers. And it's just like, I never would have watched this if we weren't doing, like, sports month. I mean, so the first episode of Teen Girl Talk is 16 Candles. Um, if you look at our actual playlist, it's Drive Me Crazy, because the 16 Candles episode was so garbage. Because that movie is garbage, because John Hughes is trash. I mean, yes. I'm taking some hard standpoints. I don't think, like, I mean, in, in our presence, we're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you're preaching to the choir. But my main problem is that, like, with especially 16 Candles... And I, I, it also bleeds into the Breakfast Club. Is like, oh, these people are attractive, so they can get away with anything. And it's like that's not how the world should work. People should be calling out these assholes for being assholes. Like fucking everybody's like Jake Ryan, Jake Ryan. I'm like Jake Ryan's a monster. He's a straight up monster. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, I. I feel like the, especially within the context of Breakfast Club, like, I feel like uh, the discussion will kind of lend itself as we are going through the episode itself. But I was very taken aback. I think, like, I think of everything that really, like, shocked me. I mean, a couple things did shock me while watching The Breakfast Club. But I think one of the worst pieces of it was how much, like, that Bender character is a fucking monster. And, like, I understand that we are supposed to sympathize with him because of him being a survivor of abuse, and obviously, like, I'm always going to be sympathetic to that aspect. But literally four minutes in, he's making, like, he's referencing, like, he's, like, implying, like, gang-raping Molly Ringwald's character. And I was just like, oh, oh, right, like, this is where we're going with this show. Okay, yeah. this is yeah. what this movie is. the infamous scene where he's under the desk and... Yeah. What the fuck was that? Yeah. yeah, that was... Yeah, yeah. It's... See, my experience with The Breakfast Club is, like, extended in the weirdest way because I, I like you, did not watch also a lot of, of movies growing up because just, like, Black Kid, not really much for me there. Mm-hmm. Um... Movies essentially way too white for me and my family. Um, but my sister, for some reason, just loved The Breakfast Club. And so I would watch TV when she would watch TV. So I got to see The Breakfast Club like a dozen times. And then getting older, like I haven't watched it recently, but just like thinking back on it as it's come back into like kind of social consciousness is just like, oh yeah, that did happen in that scene. Oh wow, that was a thing. And it's just like retroactively realizing how bad that film was. Yeah, it's just, there's so much about it that is just unpleasant. Like, it, it just it's a casual way, too, which makes it yeah, way worse. 
Yeah, it's just, like, and I get it, like, I know a lot of, I feel like a lot of movies from this era suffer from this, like, because, like, like, a guilty pleasure I have is, like, you know, 80s, 90s action movies, like, I love that type of shit, like, I love Highlander, I love Face Off, I love, like, all those really corny movies, but, like, even, (laughs) I love them, they're so fun to me, but they, pretty much all of them suffer from similar issues in the sense that, like, you will hear the F-slur. You will hear, like, you will have, like, a deeply shitty, like, implication or scene of sexual assault. Like, you're you're going to have these instances that, unfortunately, you have to, like, it's, it's like, you know, a product of the time in so many ways. And how storytelling, you know, really, like, just went, yeah, that's totally fair game to have fairly explicitly in it. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it, there's something to be said about, like, when you look at something like The Breakfast Club, which is intended for, in theory, like, a teen audience. Yeah. And it just, like, there, it just feels like there's, like, no responsibility for the fact that it's teen targeted. It's just, like, let's, let's just be fucked up and edgy because that's what teens want, as opposed to understanding the responsibility of, like, this, you know, media sets a tone amongst kids almost as much as, like, kids want to see the media speak to their experiences. Yeah, 100%. But, um, yeah, but also, like, it's just, I don't know, there's aspects, sorry, Dahlia just ran and jumped into Frank's lap, and now is just, they're, <laughs> they're wild, they're just doing their thing, but, um. Wild and crazy gals. They really are, though, um, <laughs> but, it's, it's one of those things where, uh, even though, like, I, I know that and I've come to expect, like, a scene or two, there's something about how flippant it is in this, yeah. that, in, in The Breakfast Club, that was, like, really jarring to me as a viewer. Because it's, just, like, you know, a lot of older movies, you can, you shake your head and be like, different, like, different time, different place, like, mm. that kind of thing. But this is, like, less, like, about 30 years ago, and you're like... Yeah, it's not really that old. No, it's not. (laughs) It's not, and it was considered so, like, such, like, a revelation. And I think that's, like, one of my problems with John Hughes movies and, like, Six and Candles and Breakfast Club is that, like, I'm watching teen media now that still references it. Yes, and that's, that's, Mm -hmm. and that's a big issue, right? Because it's, like, you know, we have this Degrassi episode that in so many ways breaks the formula. They took the time, and that's what always intrigued me about this episode, because it does, even if you've never seen The Breakfast Club, as somebody, as a teenager who had never seen the movie, I was watching it, and it took me a little bit to pick up on it, because I just never saw the movie, and I didn't really know what it was about when I was younger, but I was still like, oh, this is not the usual Degrassi. This doesn't progress in the same way that a Degrassi episode does. Um, so it was, like, interesting and intriguing in that sense, and the fact that, like, you know, you have these, these shows break their formulas, break their form to reform into this movie, it's just very, it gives it even more, like, implied gravitas than it ever deserved. Yeah. Well, it's just, like, I mean... This this movie has one of my like one of my favorite things, which is just characters just shooting around, like shooting around, sitting around and shooting the shit with each other. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. that, 
That's my favorite part of superhero movies. I do not care for the, like, let's, like, fly and blow stuff up. I'm like, all right, that's kind of cool, but, like, I like it when Captain America is just, like, chilling with his bros, like, and they're all from, like, in their 60s, you know? Um, and the fact, like, the fact that it took us out of a normal school day and, like, just, like, here, like... Here's the unexpected of, we're just going to have five characters sit in a goddamn room for X number of hours. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I feel like the only thing now that, like, would really, like, kind of fritz me up is if, like, there was an episode where the school wasn't there at all. Yeah. Because we've never had an episode where there's no, not a scene in Degrassi. Yeah, and in the case of Degrassi, it notoriously skips breaks, right? Like, it doesn't talk about spring breaks, it doesn't talk about winter breaks, it doesn't even, it it literally goes to the beginning of the school year, to the end of the school year, and then it starts up again at the beginning of the next school year. Like, we don't even get to see a kid going on vacation. It's almost, like, weird in that Degrassi itself is a character, and yes. so, like, yeah, like, you're not necessarily going to see that because Degrassi, especially like since the next generation is coming already from like a history that it's just like kind of not feasible, I think, to separate like the kids from Degrassi. Yeah, it's very much like a, I know that there's a term for this. I just can't remember the literary term. Bottle but... episode? What? Bottle episode? No, 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 not bottle episode. Just about how in, in like, you know, how you have, like, the Hunchback of Notre Dame and how the church kind of functions, the cathedral functions as, like, a character in of itself. Yeah. And, like, you know, and, and this happens in other forms of media, too, where the structure becomes its own almost autonomous being in the process. And I feel like the school, in many ways, in Degrassi has always been, because one of the, you know, spoilers... One of the most devastating moments in the earlier version of Degrassi is when the school catches on fire. And that has a lot of emotional weight to the characters as they're watching the school burn. So there is something to be said about how, historically speaking, the school has always, provi- has always had its own weight within the storytelling that's more than just this is the setting of where it is, but more it's a community landmark it's a place where these kids all come together it's a place where all these different kids from different like you know different cliques etc etc all come together right i know there's a term for it i just can't remember yeah i can't think of it either this is like also super hard to google (laughs) yeah i know i I, (laughs) i'm not even bothering because i know i can't i'm not going to be able to get it but um let's get into this episode because like i said i feel like a lot of the talking points especially relating to the breakfast club i think are going to come kind of naturally even though a lot of it is going to be me being like huh i really enjoyed this episode way more than the movie (laughs) it's just like i mean we have so the episode opens up with ellie so ellie's kind of this interesting guide of sorts through the story where It is definitely an ensemble episode. Each character kind of has moments and growth and things like that. But Ellie kind of seems to be the unifying factor in all of this. Um, And she's walking toward the school and we see her flicking a rubber band, which, you know, is a good reminder of the, like a kind of a reminder of that thread of her struggles with self-harm. 
Um, and this goes back to what I've always really appreciated about Degrassi when it comes to Ellie is that it, it, it feels, and this episode is really successful at this as well, as well, but like, it feels like they really wanted to make clear that like, this was not just going to be a thing that they were going to have a very special episode about and then never pick it up again. It's something that they really put time into having it be following Ellie in many ways as she is trying to learn better coping mechanisms and deal with it. And may, but does not always mean you automatically stop hurting yourself because of it. And this episode, and I think the reason why I really like this episode is because it's a great way of reiterating that in a way that I don't think media does a lot of the time. Yeah, like, um, I remember that a little bit from when I was younger too, whenever I was watching Degrassi, like, just the fact that they would kind of introduce so many things and then they would, like, never be talked about again. Or they would do one big episode about it and then it just sort of wasn't relevant in the future. But, yeah, this this one strain of, like, this aspect of Ellie's character, they actually follow you through it to the end in, like, a pretty solid way, from what I remember. Um, and that's just always been, like, one of the things I appreciated, at least about her storyline. Yeah, yeah, I think that in many ways, like, I, I just, I just feel like, like, you know, I felt it when I watched this as a kid, and I still feel it now, like, I think Ellie and her, her relationship with self-harm is one of the best written takes on it. In media, even to this day, I have yet to find something that really has come close enough in terms of, like, how well done and how it feels like it is a component of her character as opposed to just some big ill of society they just kind of slapped onto her for the sake of making you know bringing attention to it right like for drama it's not even something that you really even see or not that i know of because i don't really watch a whole lot of teen slash kids media much anymore but i don't even know if like self-harm is really a topic that talked about what anymore in media not particularly. I think yeah. I think it's not as frank. <laughs> it's not as like a, a. I can't say any other. Word. It's not as frank. I feel like as this is. I feel like we see kids self harming. Maybe not explicitly cutting, but like in other ways and hurting themselves in other ways. But I think it's not usually portrayed and called that. You know what I mean? Like right. I feel like a lot of the time, like self destructive behaviors that aren't necessarily like actually called what they are exactly it's like it's like you are watching somebody run themselves ragged and hurt themselves but nobody really i don't want to say nobody because i'm sure media has tried to i'm just not thinking of anything on the top of my head but like it's not usually like called that it's just like oh you are burning the candle at both ends what the fuck yeah it yeah but um so she goes to the um, and Radich is, I know this now because I saw the movie, is dressed like that principal character in The Breakfast Club. Yeah. <laughs> in that damn, like, suit, leisure suit. I don't know. Yeah. It's weird because it clearly does not fit him. Yes. Right? <laughs> That's true. Um, but he does, he does the whole speech and it hits similar beats to the one in the movie. Um, there are some differences, which were 
you know, obviously addressed so that you wouldn't have the same points of tension that you did in The Breakfast Club because it's like he addresses the bathroom aspect, which was contested by the students in the movie. Um, and he also is not making them do that nebulous essay of like, write a thousand words of who you are. That's like the very like vague attempt at like drawing a message from that movie. Um, I hesitate to say vague. It just that's what they were trying to do. I just hated it. But that's different. We'll give Anthony and Michael Hall something to read on his way out. <laughs> right. <laughs> but um, the crew that we have in in detention is we have Ellie, Sean, Jimmy, Toby, and Hazel. So it's kind of easy to see how they were able to kind of plug and chug these roles for based on these characters that obviously were based on the movie. Ellie's role is a little different, but it's definitely supposed to call back to the weird girl type. Um, we have Sean, who's obviously your bad boy. Pretty easy fit into it. Um, you have Jimmy, who's obviously your jock. And then you have Toby, who's obviously your nerd. And then you have Hazel, who is obviously your popular girl. I was really... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, on the last episode, I wondered who they were going to throw in there. Mm-hmm. I'm really happy it wasn't Paige. I really like that Hazel was in this. I think, honestly, Same. this episode is probably why I've always liked Hazel. Because, like, as a kid, I quite liked her, considering she was a character who I never really got to see, you know, take up take up an A-plot outside of that one. So... I feel like this was probably why she was like she she's just so fun and it's such a shame because like I feel like her actress has similar skills to Paige's actress in the mm. sense that like they they can really take a line and really twist it in a way that's very fun and like they both really sell it like I I would argue like you know you could switch the roles you could do anything like that and like I feel like I feel like Hazel's actress could easily steal the show just as much as Paige's actress does if she was given. Definitely. Like, they're both, they're both at the same level, which is probably why I always kind of liked Paige and Hazel's banter with each other, because both actresses kind of were able to go head-to-head to each other, and it's such a shame that the writers never really took advantage of that, because I feel like they could have become such a better duo if... Hazel, if they actually gave Hazel the chance to, like, shine on her own. Exactly. Like, I was so excited to see her getting, like, what is essentially her second episode where she is actually, like, an important role. And I'm kind of, like, on one hand, I'm excited, but at the same time, like, of course, it's gotta be a parody of, like, a gross-ass movie that they're glorifying. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I was also gonna say, like, the thing is about Paige that we saw in the first season is Paige also works so well as a supporting, like, actress that, like, I think, like, you could have just... That would have been another thing. Just, like, oh, you can also highlight that she's just good, like, in addition. Like, you would have highlighted both... The fact that both of them can, like, both lead and support. Mm-hmm. So. But, um... But yeah, so that's our crew. Um, Leah, I was quite happy with that crew. I agree. I feel like having Hazel in it was a good addition. I was very happy to see that she is 
she is in this in this role. I agree with you. I think that if Paige was in it, it just would have been like kind of too much. I feel like a lot of these these characters, either recently or just in general, have not been given as much of a spotlight as like your your you know your Emmas your, um, I don't know your your Craigs, like, you know, you have a couple characters that have had quite a few A-plots have or have kind of been part of the dominating force, JT, characters like that. And I feel like these are characters that either were kind of pushed to the side recently or never quite were able to hit their stride yet. Or in the case of Ellie and Hazel, they started as supporting characters and only as of, like, a season or two have become principal characters. So it was nice to see them get spotlighted. Mm-hmm. And this is like another one of those episodes that breaks the mold of Degrassi female characters in that like Degrassi female characters, as we've said before, are not allowed to have fun. Yeah. They are, yeah. They are here to do the heavy lifting, but they are not allowed to just, you know, take some time to themselves and just relax and have a good time. And Hazel and Ellie get to finally have a good time for the most part of this episode. Yeah. Um, and, and there's this playfulness throughout this episode, which is also probably why I liked it so much, because what ends up happening is after we get introduced to who this crew is, Radich walks off, and, like, Sean burps, like, as he's walking away, and Radich just, like, calls him out on it. And <laughs> this was a piece that I did not understand in The Breakfast Club, which was, like, I didn't know how, like, obviously it's Saturday, you can't conceptualize how big that school was, but it was really confusing to me that, like, an administrator didn't really know any of the kids in any way, shape, or form, because it's like, I have been at schools, like, I currently work with a school that has 1,100 kids, and the principal has, maybe not know every single kid face, like, name to face, but has a good grasp on, like, the circles that kids keep, that kids are in, and, like, a little bit about them and if they're in a club and things like that. So, like, it was really weird to me watching that, that guy. And I understand it was supposed to be, like, you know, further commentary of adults and how adults have their souls died, their hearts died, whatever the fuck. But it was just very weird to see five kids in that room and he kind he knew, like, nothing about them except for... The Bender character. Yeah. Like, I can never remember any of these characters' names. I've only seen this movie once. Molly Ringwald's character is, like, in student council and shit. Like, he would know her. Theoretically, yeah. But I've also dealt with school systems where, like... The, the administration's actually kind of gotta give a shit to begin with. Yeah, I guess that's <laughs> actually, true. Actually, like, get to know their students, and I've been too many a school where they just did not. So yeah, I think <laughs> that's unfortunately like that happens. Yeah, I've been very lucky. I've had a couple very good principals slash. I've worked in small school districts where it's like you kind of had to know because there's right. only like four hundred kids in the school and. <laughs> And, you know, there's only so much you can do here. Um, but, yeah, that was just something that I noticed in the movie. But, like, what I did like about Radich, Radich, like, even though he's not doing this correctly, like, he knows these kids yeah. in some way, shape, or form. Um, but as Radich walks off, Ellie and Sean make eye contact. Um, and then, like, the opening kicks in. And then the next part, the thing, next, after the opening, Sean is, like, playing wall ball. <laughs> Against like a like a cool sign of Degrassi. <laughs> Wild cats, Tomcats, Panthers, Panthers, Panthers. 
what team? Panthers. <laughs> but, um, like, Sean is playing wall ball. Jimmy is yelling at him. And then, like, when Sean keeps playing, a par- like, he hits a part of the, like, ceiling, like, one of those, like, paneled ceiling things. It falls. Um, and it hits Ellie's bag, and she kind of quickly tugs it away. And at this point, like, I do want to note, this episode gave me such a weird impression of what the movie would be like, because, well, because from the jump, shenanigans are happening in this episode. And, and I understand that, like, a lot of it is, like, sitting in a room talking, you know, talking to each other, because that's all you have. But I really thought there would be more of them doing weird shit, like, in this episode, than there actually is in the movie itself. Like, I was prepared for, like, wall ball, or eventually them, like, playing that weird hockey game with, like, the, uh, with the dining hall supplies. Yeah. (laughs) But, like, I really thought, like, that's what the movie was like. And obviously it would have these deep conversations interspersed but like i was i was like watching the movie and i was like it's kind of boring and gwen's like what did you think was because gwen was watching with me gwen's like what do you what did you think this was gonna be and i was like i don't know i thought there would be a lot more shenanigans (laughs) or donnie yeah no i was i was not a happy sorry i subjected you to this i feel responsible now i I wanted to because I I care about my listeners and I wanted them to have the best version of myself for this episode. I mean, there's a victorious episode called The Breakfast Bunch. I honestly would have preferred watching that to the actual Breakfast Club movie. What if you just watched a bunch of things that reference The Breakfast Club and then tried to analyze it? I actually watched a movie. But, uh, oh, yeah. Still a better experience than watching The Breakfast Club. That's right. a really good idea. Let me hit Susie up with that. Yeah, right? That'd be really <laughs> funny. But um, as they're, you know, they destroy the building, um, Radich is kind of goofing off at the water fountain, and then we go back to the sea. <laughs> okay, sorry. I just want to interject, because, like... It's almost like you're the host of the podcast or something. <laughs> Let's just let... So, I'm known to be over-talked in a lot of... Both podcasts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I'm starting to like Radish a bit more when he's just being a giant nerd. Yeah. <laughs> like when he's drinking from the water fountain and like dancing around and whatnot. I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> yeah. He's, uh, you know, he's just kind of goofing off. I mean, Saturday detentions are weird because I've worked in, I've worked pretty much every school I've ever worked at or been a student at. There has been on the books saturday detention that has existed everywhere i've ever been and i don't think i've ever worked in a school that actually implemented them. <laughs> because no one actually wants to sit exactly saturday. <laughs> exactly it's all fun and games until you realize you the teacher have to oversee it <laughs> and i think that's what always happens it's just like yeah there's saturday yeah yeah there's saturday detentions yeah and it's like hmm I'm not doing that shit, though. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, it's not gonna happen, but we have them. It's... I feel like there's another, like, parental kind of, like, punishment that's just like, you're gonna have to do this, too. Like... Yeah, exactly. Re- is this really worth it? Yeah. No, but that's exactly it. It's like... It, it's like you're bringing down a lot more than just yourself if you if you have a Saturday detention. <laughs> Ruining my one damn, like, day... 
I can arrest you children. <laughs> but Radish seems to like the solitude. Clearly. I, does, we don't know. Does he Is he married in any capacity? We, we don't know. I don't think it's ever been said. Anyway. But, um... <laughs> I, I can't remember what his name is. Ken? Whatever. Oh, what is his name? I don't remember. I'll look it up. Deep cut. But, um... As he's goofing off in front of the water fountain, the boys are all stacked up on each other trying to move the panel back and fix the ceiling. Um, the girls are just watching, uh, which is great. And, um... <laughs> Like, they're just like, uh-huh, okay, mm, okay. Don't die. Yeah, right, they're like, oh, like, they're not even spotting, they're just watching. <laughs> they're <just> there. <laughs> it's Dan. His name is Dan. It is Dan, okay. Um, and then as they're trying to do it, they get it on, and then they all fall on top of each other, and Ellie reaches out to help Sean up, um... As all of the commotion happens, Radich arrives, and he decides that he is going to try and, like, make them sit in separate areas. Once again, similar to the movie, where he has all of them kind of be on certain desks and not allowed to move from those places. Um, after they get repositioned, Hazel whines because time is just not moving fast enough for this whole entire situation, which I get. Um, and she is like, you know... She's like, well, I, like, you know, people have social lives. And Sean is like, well, what are you doing? Like, licking Paige's boots? Which, oof. Yeah. <laughs> Yay, casual racism. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Uh. Ugh. Hey, other Degrassi writers, should we think about what we wrote? Nah, Look, man, we spent 20 minutes on the script. Just send it out. Right. We like, put Hazel in there, didn't we? Hazel and Jimmy? You got two of them. Yeah. Can't like... actually be expected to take care of them as characters. <laughs> hey, who wrote the Towers lines? Oh, right. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> oh. Oh, man, we keep forgetting to do that. Oh. But, um... As that's happening, Jimmy tries to get in the middle of it and try to defend Hazel. And Sean is just like, wait a second, how did, direct quote, misconformity even get into detention? Um, <laughs> and then Toby's like, was it for that hate crime? Ooh. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. God, Hazel. Hazel deserves so much better. But, uh... Oh. Uh, I just, Jazz, I just want to say, we did get to the episode where ta Towers and Liberty are now a thing. Oh, no. Uh, right. I forgot that happened. I forgot it happened, too. <laughs> like, entirely <laughs> forgot. Well, now I feel less pumped about the fact that Towers and Liberty are a thing. <laughs> I'm sorry, Frank. But, um, anyway, he's like, you know, how'd you even get into detention? He's pretty straight up about how he's there for eight weeks. I mean, he told, he told Radge, go to hell, and then that warranted that. He's so proud of it. He's real proud. <laughs> um, and then Ellie jumps in, and, like, they're talking, Ellie's just like, oh, I skipped class. And just, like, fucking, like, it, like, no real transition into it. She's just like, yeah, no, I totally skipped class. I just didn't want to go. And then, like, everyone's like, okay. Um, sure. Thank Th you for that. <laughs> there's a lot of great eye contact in this episode. I think what's really fun about this episode, I think 
in general, Degrassi has been getting much better at this as of late is the use of nonverbal cues and how they really feel like what teens do in situations like this where they hear someone say something like that. It sounds really fucking weird, but they're not just going to outright say it. They're all just going to be like, oh, interesting, and keep going. <laughs> but um, Jimmy whines about how he's missing the show, and he blames Toby, and they have that whole entire kind of blame exchange issue. Um, it's just like, Jimmy, like, even if... Toby didn't panic and rat you out. Like, he was changing your grade. Yeah, right. It's just like... <laughs> kids who used to, like, just scratch their full names into desks. And the teacher would be like, So this was obviously you. And they're like, No. It's like, It's your full name. <laughs> I've been there. It's so annoying. <laughs> it's like... Uh, this week, we had a kid write on a dry erase board like I something to the effect of I love daddy and a stick figure filleting another stick figure and we had oh to be boy. yeah yeah because I work with middle schoolers and this is what happens and we had to be like this is your like we know you drew this we know you drew this and they're like why and it's like you drew the same thing on your backpack <laughs> children <laughs> never a dull moment <laughs> never ever a dull moment but um <laughs> but um you know she's uh, you know hazel is really agitated and just is like kind of like you want to like you know what like this is why i got like you know she starts beating them about why she got there and then just kind of storms off and then there's more sean and ellie i exchange um Meanwhile, Radich is, like, doing exercises to a goofy song with the lyrics of Pretty Girl. Oh, no! What the hell just happened, you two? What happened? Um, <laughs> um, they were chasing each other on the futon. Then Dahlia jumped, but she skidded and crashed right into Gwen's ukulele, <laughs> which then <laughs> fell <laughs> um, this isn't even including the fact that Dahlia has developed a very specific habit of jumping into the garbage to pull balls of paper out. So now there's like shredded paper all over the floor. She's she's going back to her like her roots being a cat born on the streets where she could only play with like plastic bottles and and receipts. The ukulele. Like, what are you doing with this perfectly good paper? I can play with that. That's exactly it, though. The ukulele's fine. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that Dahlia did not destroy it with her skidding. God damn it, you two. They're just kittens. I understand that. <gasps> They're just babies. But, um... I'm just gonna go put my nose real quick. Yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, so Radich is doing exercises to a pretty song with the lyric con lyrical content featuring the word pretty girl. Um, it goes for like an uncomfortably long time. <laughs> it does. I feel like he just keeps going. He has like one of those like exercise balls and everything and he does different positions. He's wearing like short shorts. It's, it's a lot to take in. <laughs> um, and Hazel walks in and he's just like, 
petrified by by the fact that a student has seen him. And she just kind of laughs and, and just walks past him. Like, she's just like, you're not going to fucking do anything, because cause now I know. Um, and she goes back to the library, and the kids are so amused. Like, by the time she is in the library, Sean is asking, is, like, kind of joking about it and asking her to, to talk about talk about the incident again. She's like, I've already said it, like, a bunch of times at this point. <laughs> Um, so Ellie then suggests, which, true pinnacle of, like, the, the young teen experience, which is, let's play truth or dare. I've never had a truth or dare experience. I feel like I missed out, but at the same time, I feel like I maybe dodged a bullet instead. Um, I played truth or dare a couple times. Um, this New Year's Eve, we played a game of truth and truth. Moving to do those dares, huh? Well, the truths ended up being fun in their own unique way. Um, but yeah, it was just like basically just everyone asking, like, not terribly. Like you could, you could. It was a challenge by choice. So if you felt truly uncomfortable by a question, you could decide not to answer it. But it was just like everyone asking like very specific questions. But most of them became like, "How'd you start dating this person? What about them do you like?" <laughs> So, but they play truth or dare. Um, you know, pretty much everyone says truth. Um, so then, of course, logically, they ask Hazel how she got into detention. She's like, I'm not going to answer that. And they're like, okay, then go kiss Toby. And she's like, yeah, sure. And she fucking goes for it. Right, like, super cash just sits on his lap, plants one on him. And it's just like... <laughs> like literally the the biggest no cares in the world given about this. Yeah, she just fucking like without hesitation, she's just like, let's go, okay. <laughs> Honestly, at that point I was thinking about the King game from Persona 4. <laughs> Getting super pumped. Um and I was just like, oh Hazel, like you don't want... I don't know if Toby and, Ken, and uh, Kendra are still dating, but... Yeah, that thread's been kind of lost, hasn't it? You don't want to get on Kendra's bad side, because Kendra, you know, Kendra knows how to fight, and you can't outrun her. <laughs> <laughs> she does every sport ever. <laughs> and she also plays chess, so you can't outthink her either. She's, the per she's a Terminator, essentially. Um... <sighs> <laughs> oh, Dahlia, she really wants to be a part of this podcast very badly. She just... Let Dahlia say her opinions. Right. Um, but, um... I'm so distracted. Sorry. Um, but yeah, so meanwhile, as this is happening, Snake is parking in front of the school, which, hooray! Like, you know, the last time we've heard from him was, um was he was in the hospital for more intense chemotherapy treatment. So seeing him driving and seeing him alive is, like, a really good sign. So, um, meanwhile, the crew is in is having lunch in the cafeteria. Uh, Toby is still, like, elated about this kiss that he has had. Um, and Jimmy and Sean are out outright mocking Hazel about it. 
Um, and Sean just kind of continues really hitting upon Hazel conforming, saying that she's a rule follower. And that's where Jimmy once again is like, hey, knock it off. And I do appreciate that we're still seeing this tension between the two of them because this has been tension that has existed literally as soon as Sean was introduced to the show. He and Jimmy had issues with each other. So the fact that it's, like, continuing is nice to see because, you know, they have not... I don't think they've ever truly been okay with each other. The last time we saw them being somewhat okay was in the episode known as Drive. Yeah, but even then, like, there was still issue. Yeah. That, like, it, it's kind of nice to see that that grudge has such legs. I feel like that doesn't always happen in in these types of things. I think that was a very easy thread to drop, but... Hopefully Jimmy will be a, uh, be a role model for Sean vis-a-vis his homophobia. Please. <laughs> Please. Um, but... <laughs> Sean, you need to come to my Fear Factory laboratory. <laughs> I'm so glad you're bringing that, you're keeping that be- as a joke of Jimmy running a Fear Factory, like a Fear Factory stunt show. He'd be perfect for it. He really would. But, um, you know, Sean just keeps going. He says that Paige is a puppet master, blah, blah, blah. And Hazel finally cracks and was like, I was looking at porn, guys. Like, I was dying because I forgot that that was the reason why she was there. And the only thing I could run through my mind is like, Hazel, like, hon, why school? Like, of all the places, why school? Well, she explains. Where are you? My favorite part is she explains, which is just like she got a spam email. She had a link and she was like, fuck it, I'm going to click on it. And like, why the hell not? Let's do some digging. And I love that about her. I love it. She was just like, I have the confidence to do it now. I don't know if it's going to happen again. Click. <laughs> Let's see where this rabbit hole takes me. Oh, God. I love you, Hazel. It was oh, it was really good. <laughs> um, Such a relatable thing, though. <laughs> I know. It's so good. Oh, my God. Like, which teacher do you think caught her? Or which is the best teacher to catch her? Oh, well, Snake has been sick, so it wouldn't be Snake. There's only three other teachers, really, so, um... Armstrong's too boring. Armstrong's too boring. I want, I wanted to be Miss Kwan. I mean, I, but here's what it probably was. If she was on the computer, it was very likely she was in Snake's class, but there was a sub. So please imagine mm. a sub thinking, oh, it's fine. <laughs> you know, all the assignments are on the computer. I don't have to, whoa, what the fuck is that? <laughs> But, but could a sub assign a Saturday detention? Um, what usually happens if you're a sub, you usually kind of defer to a higher up. So, like, you could just call the principal's office and be like, I got a kid who looked at porn. Help. <laughs> this is, this, if, help. Yeah, if this was Frank subbing, it's like, okay, did not handle that at all. I'm going to go eat lunch in my car. <laughs> I, I feel like I would not jump, it depends, because like, because this has happened not, I don't, like, this has not directly happened to me yet. Um, I've seen kids look at slightly racy stuff, but like, not enough to, not like that. Um, 
but I have heard of it happening many a time before. And like, and it's just like kind of one of those things where, where, where like, anyone I've met has tried not to escalate it to that level, but has been like, that is inappropriate. That's fucking nasty. You need to not do this on this computer. <laughs> Um, I would not go to the children's book section when I was a library page because I did not want to look at their computer screens. <laughs> Just in case. You never know. <laughs> One tab is Naruto, the other tab, who knows. <laughs> um, speaking of pornography, um, Donnie mentioned... Cool yeah, right? Donnie mentioned face-off before. Yes. <laughs> I, I swear there's a thread. I okay. swear there's a thread. Yes. I, when a young Frank Coda first saw face-off, he did not understand it for the classic that it is. Um, there's that part at the beginning where Nick Cage grabs a young woman, uh, a young woman's behind, and goes, Wah! <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I remember thinking, is that sex? Oh no! <laughs> oh no! So, yeah, that's what I was thinking about when you mentioned Face Off. Really? What I? I'm not gonna talk about Face Off because there's no need for me to talk about Face Off. Just know that when I see Gwyn, I I do the thing that John Travolta does, where he just kind of <laughs> runs his hand over over. People's faces. I do that to Gwen a lot. Oh my god! There, I was I was once like getting back to work because there was two women telling like one woman was telling the other the entire plot of Face Off. Holy shit! And I was like, I have to listen to all of this. I love it. I love it. I just. Oh my god. Um, I will stop. I'm gonna stop. Okay. So, um, so everyone laughs at, at Hazel and her watching porn. Like, they think it's really fucking funny. And she joins in, too, which is what I really like about this moment. Like, she also thinks it's fucking funny. Um. Which it is. It is. It's absolutely hysterical. All the things to go to Saturday detention for. Like, it's so good. It's just so good. Um, and as they're, like, laughing about it, um, they eventually, like, have more shenanigans. Like, they do weird cafeteria hockey with dining hall trays and, and shit like that. You, you know there was a discussion where, um, like, people were like, Toby, you don't need the, you don't need the, like, cafeteria tray, like, body armor, or whatever it's called, padding. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, no, I don't want to get hurt. And like, oh, okay. <laughs> It's, it's really, I, I was very charmed by it. Um, Hazel, like, dumps, like, a whole fucking box of plastic forks on the ground. Like, it's anarchy. It's anarchy. Well, that, that happens, um, after Snake comes in. Yeah, yeah. Snake comes in. No. He, like, checks in on them and is like, hey, like, what is happening here? Um, and Hazel's like, oh, are you back? Um, and he's like, you know, the chemo is done, and I'm getting antsy, and I want to be, you know, I want to be back. So. It makes a little joke. I miss all you bad kids. Yeah. Yeah, like, he thinks it's really preposterous that these kids are having Saturday detention right now. It's, he, he finds the whole premise of them being in there pretty freaking weird. Yeah, and he also, um, 
oh, he does something else. And he's like, oh yeah, I saw nothing, and walks back out. Yeah, yeah, he's a very, he's very fun. I, I really, I just really like the fact that they, you know, they show that they missed him. Yeah, yeah, because it's, I mean, it's rough, because, you know, um, it's just, obviously it's a lot on Snake and things like that to be dealing with that, but... When you have teachers who can't fill in the full year, even if it's something for something positive, like a maternity leave or something like that, like, kids get very stressed by it. Like, even if they don't want to admit to it, like, it it ruins your routine to a certain extent. And when it's a case of an illness, you know, Snake was there... And, you know, he, he might have spent a couple of days out and then he was back. And then, like, you know, he, he it sounds like he was kind of in and out of being in school for a little bit until he was hospitalized. So it, it's like a particularly stressful situation because he's sick. Um, he's not there consistently. And then he's hospitalized. They don't know if he's coming back. And it's just like you, it you know kids are not horrible creatures like they actually do give a shit as long as the teacher gives a shit about them they're gonna give a shit about the teacher so it it was really nice to see that very clear like them being excited and glad that he is feeling better enough that hopefully he can be there more consistently yeah um and sean becomes a cat in this scene because it's like the minute he's caught like playing essentially He's just like, all right, I'm done. He's very, like, season one-esque in this episode to a certain extent. He's still mean. He still says some things that I think cross the line. I think the bootlicking comment in particular does. But when he sits at the table and talks to Ellie, it's very vintage Sean, which I really liked. Well, I think, like... I think in the episode where he first meets up with Jay and his gang, like, he's alone. Like, yeah. so, I, f- I feel like Sean is very lost a lot of times. Well, yeah. So, so then it just becomes like when he's hanging out with people, like, they st- he starts kind of reflecting them. Yeah, he's very attracted to strong personalities. I, I, I wouldn't even say that. Like, he's just like... When we first see Sean, and, like, way back in the, like, first episodes of season one, like, he's so angry and testy and just doesn't want to talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. But then he starts hanging out with um, Emma, and, like, he gets progressively gentler and yeah. kinder. And then, like, you know, he's hanging out with JT and Toby... And he becomes a dickhead. No, he becomes responsible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's true. He he does he does switch out the ecstasy pill and things like that. I I think. I think at the core of him, like, Sean is a sweet kid. Yeah. But I, like he yeah. has a survival instinct of I need to emulate who I'm with, or else they're going to leave me. Yeah. I right. think I think that's a big fucking thing with Sean and. You know, it sucks because I think there's elements to Sean that are very realistic in many ways. I think that this entity, the Slim Shawnee era of Sean, is is so reminiscent of, like, what boys were like during that time period. Like, 
I knew boys like Sean. Like, maybe not entirely, like, every single detail, but kind of that subset of boy I knew. And I feel like it was a very common archetype a lot of boys were trying to live up to during that time period. So you have watched Fight Club um, when yeah. I throw a fist, my thumb and pinky are out for some reason. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm sorry, I interrupted you, Jazz. <laughs> no, you're good. But I was just thinking, like, yeah, like, I've known just people in general like Sean that where they kind of tend to, to take on just kind of aspects of of people that you're with and like even to a, an extent like I was never like bad kid bad kid but just like moving around a lot and losing friendship um frequently you just kind of have to essentially mold yourself into what the new friend group is yeah because one you're not even sure of who you are as a person like especially at that age and two like you so desperately need people to like you that you're willing to just kind of like aspects of yourself in order to better fit in so it's just it, it sucks to watch it especially skew to this point with sean where he's hanging out with jay and his crew and it's obviously like not good for him mm. but it's just so realistic and relatable on uh, to a certain extent that it, yeah, it it hurts a little bit yeah exactly it's like he you're watching you know it's like watching a it's watching a disaster from a distance like you can't stop it you can't do anything about it this is unfortunately a path boys take sometimes um people take sometimes really and um in and we get like these flashes of Sean and potentially his true self to a certain extent in in the moment that follows because Sean and Ellie sit next to each other away from kind of the chaos and Sean asks Ellie about the rubber bands on her wrist. And, and they kind of talk about, um, they kind of talk about the rumors surrounding her about self-harm, but he, he's not really mincing words, which he never does. Yeah. And he's just kind of like, you know, I've, I've heard about it. I know about it. She explains that, oh, like the rubber bands are a therapy technique. Um, eventually he just asks, which is obviously not something you should do. But makes sense for Sean to ask, which is kind of why she cuts. And she explains that it helps her with, like, feeling that she has some form of control. Um, which is, a, you know, actually a very... It was nice to hear her say that in such plain language. And I think that it was, like, really... Even though I think the concept of asking somebody why they cut is not something you should do. I do, th I do think that her explanation of it is a really good way... For a viewer who maybe doesn't know, like, you know, if you have a friend who's struggling with this or you know of people who are struggling with it and you don't get it, it's a good way to give you a reason why people, so, and obviously not every single person does it, but why a lot of people do it. So And and I think that's what I like about this episode and I like about Ellie and her journey with self-harm in general is like Ellie does, Ellie is not the type of person to mince words in many ways. She's very clear. She is very, like, you know, to the point a lot of the time. And because of it, when she talks about it, like in moments like this, she is not afraid to speak to why she does it. She's not afraid to speak to her apprehensions of connecting with people because of it. It's very, uh, it's a very good model for somebody to kind of understand what somebody dealing with this is views themselves and views the habits themselves and 
once again, I don't, there's so, there's a lot of media that talks about it from this era, especially a lot of media talking about cutting. And this one I feel like was, is one of the few narratives that I genuinely enjoy I, as much as you can when this is the content, but also like I feel is the most accurate in so many ways. It also, it, it sort of feels like, and I don't know if there's any write-ups about this, like from any of the writers or anyone who worked on the show, but it smacks of me like someone writing Ellie's storyline, like literally had firsthand experience with this. Yes. And like, that's the kind of care that they're taking with her story is because they either went through it themselves or they know someone who did. And that's why it's coming across like, so like, not only like clearly like to a viewer, but it's just the way it's handled is so like almost loving in a way. Like they're really taking care with her and this aspect of her self-harm and so yeah like it, it's sort of the one thing that it seems like the, the Degrassi writers really did their research on. It's very true I feel like I really need to deep dive on who wrote like two aspects like I want to know who wrote those like very abuse heavy Craig plots from season two and I want to know who wrote who has done the bulk of the writing on Ellie's self-harm. I don't know if it would be the same person or not I'd have to do research right. to figure it out. I wouldn't be surprised if it was because I think that there's a similar trait in both of the ways that they talk about it where it does a lot of just like very plain language of like how this impacts your interpersonal relationships, how this impacts your your emotional capacity. Um, I think both are very good examples of it. But yeah, like there's something about the way that Ellie talks about it that it feels deeper than just a Google search or deeper than just I read a couple books about it. It it, mm-hmm. it feels very much like it comes from somebody who has struggled with this personally. Like she just, she feels so fully realized as a character when she talks about it in a way that yeah. I just a lot of media is a lot of people who are very well-meaning and are like, you know, this is a topic I know that people struggle with. Or, and like, sometimes it is people who come from like a psych background who have worked with clients who have dealt with it and yet it never quite nails it like the, like, Ellie in Degrassi. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so she, uh, you know, she says like, you know, it helps me with control and he's just like, well, that makes sense. <laughs> and And she's just like, you're the first person to say that. Um, and it speaks to the element of Sean that I did quite like, where I feel like Sean is one of those people in general where it's like, I, I feel like it goes, like, he just kind of is like, oh, okay, like, he knows how to roll with things, which sometimes is very bad because it does result in him stealing electronics with Jay, but other times it's really good. It's him signing petitions to have, you know, menstruation products readily accessible in a bathroom. It's him, you know, commiserating with Emma about the meat industry. It's him being able to understand Ellie's perspective with self-harm and help her feel validated for once during this whole entire struggle. It's it's a shame that, you know, we are seeing him in this downward spiral for a while, but it is nice to kind of see him have this little little moment that made me remember why I was so devastated by losing him toward the end of season one but um she she notes that there's rumors about Sean 
And he's like, oh, which ones? Oh, the stealing ones? And, you know, she's just kind of like, well, are they true? Um, and he's like, yeah, I know about the stolen stuff because I'm stealing it. <laughs> Thanks, John. This, this did remind me of um, one of my favorite moments from 10 Things I Hate About You where Julia Stiles and um, Heath Ledger are going over what rumors are about them are true or not. Mm-hmm. I just always thought that was, like, you know, it was a really nice scene. Um, but, yeah, so Sean reveals he's running with the wrong crowd. Yeah, and <laughs> all of Emma's suspicions are true. And, like, Ellie's like, that's just what I needed. Quick text to the, check the phone, check the car line. Yeah, right, Ellie has a wire, everybody. <laughs> um, but um, Radich kind of like watches them as they start like pouring, like you know, pouring utensils and shit. Um, and then in response, everyone gets into separate classrooms. So we find this out because Ellie's in her own classroom. Um, she is transcribing what she's heard on a recording device that she's had in her backpack the whole entire time, which is why one of the reasons why she's been so attached to her backpack the whole entire episode. And you know, she just kind of transcribes it. She gets kind of distraught doing so. And then she walks into class with where Hazel is. Um, and they talk a little bit and they kind of realize that they should just join forces. Um, and they collect everyone from their classrooms. As they, as they like go through it, Jimmy doesn't want to grab Sean from his classroom. Um, and then they eventually decide you know they override his decision they go to sean's room they kind of bait him out of the classroom it's kind of cute there's these like very sweet moments in this episode he's like i'm not going anywhere there really are like, I'm not, what is this for not wanting to go oh, he's like, oh i'm not a follower yeah 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 okay sean <laughs> yeah sure do you have some land in like southern canada to sell me <laughs> But it's, like, really endearing how, um, how, like, once again, this is what I thought the movie was. Because I feel like in the movie, they all come together, but it's because, like, they all realize their parents suck. Like, that, right? Like, I feel like that's the big, that's the big thing. They all realize in spite of the subgroups that they're in. They all have shitty families, so that's how they kind of unify. In this, it feels like what I would expect a group of kids to bond over, which is the fact that, you know, they're all stuck in this space with each other for this whole fucking day, and that alone is a reason to kind of band together and, you know, push through differences. Like, that is enough of a premise to a certain extent. Like, obviously, the shit about families and being hurt by them and being abused by them, you know, that is that is a conversation that can come up during that time frame. But it kind of feels like... It, it felt very much like this episode kind of got to what I would expect the movie to go to, which is just sometimes you have to band together because the circumstances are that fucking weird. And... You know, sometimes it is just five kids that are different from each other banding together because of that. 
I will say the one difference between those two situations is that the kids in Degrassi know each other beforehand. Yeah. Like, there is some shared, like, hey, I know you even if it's not, like, a we've hung out type thing. Yeah. Versus the kids in the Breakfast Club never really, I don't, I don't think they even really knew much about each other like you know of these people but you might not know their names you've probably just like seen this kid in passing in the hallway and so I guess in that way like you needed something a little bit more dramatic to bring them together versus like here's a bunch of kids that already know each other already know shit about each other they just don't hang out and so like that itself lent itself to a more like lighthearted situation I think yeah I guess that's a very good point um I guess, I don't know, there's something, I, I think ultimately the failure to me of The Breakfast Club, and I say this as, you know, I am an abuse survivor, so I, I you know, I, I understand that I take some of these things a little more personally than others, but, like, there's something about this theme of, like, I don't know, it just feels like this theme that they're trying to drive home that, like, when you become an adult you're gonna fucking suck, it just yeah, it's a, it's it's a bad movie with bad like hot takes. Yeah, like they're just they're they're just very it 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 just kind of feels very forced in a way that is not particularly insightful or purposeful to me. It just kind of feels like they just like they're just like how can we prove that adults suck? This is how we can prove that adults suck. And, like, X, Y, Z, uh, you know, let's just slap them on to each child. And it just doesn't, and I understand to a certain extent it's a movie, you're not going to be able to develop your characters quite like you're going to be able to in a TV show. But there's something so, like, slapdash about it, at least it felt like when I was watching it, where I just, it was really, like, I don't know, it just felt very inorganic. I felt like that prevailing message of the movie, the way that it was handled and the way that it was talked about, just felt very clunky and kind of awkward a lot of the time. Yeah, because it is. <laughs> Thank you, okay. <laughs> you have that feeling because the feeling is right. <laughs> Thank you, Jack. Thank you. Because it's just like, I, I don't care how like much fun you have on like one of these Saturday detention things but like you're not going to just do that like you're not going to unless you've like laid the groundwork like Degrassi has in this episode you're not going to drop all your darkest secrets to strangers I don't know that piece I don't find wholly unrealistic I feel like sometimes it's easier to talk to a stranger because you know that it's not going to matter that much to them. Like, it's not going to hold the weight True. that it would if it's your friend or a family member or a significant other or something like that. Like, think about, myself included, how many people scream into the void of Twitter, say, like... Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, like... <laughs> All right, yeah, don't even... <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying... Yeah, right? Like, you just scream into the void, and, and sometimes you tag it, and it's just like, whatever. Like, that part I don't find entirely unrealistic. I think that the way, the delivery of it is what bothers me in The Breakfast Club, because I feel like 
there's something to be said about, like, you've spent this whole entire Saturday detention, you're exhausted. I could see toward the end of it people eventually having conversations that are like, you know what really fucking sucks? My dad. And, like, I could see it happening, but, like, the way that they do it, like, they're all sitting in a circle and almost, with like, almost, like, dominoes, they all just say it. And they are, like, crying, and, like, like I said, like, it comes off, like, a group therapy type, like, a portrayal of what people think group therapy is, but not in, like, a, a way that's particularly gratifying to see as a viewer. It just is kind of, like, I find it very, it was very, like, flat for me. Yeah, I'll agree. Oh, okay. So, then my question is, and I'm not disagreeing. Yeah, no, no, shoot for it. I'm just trying to, like, help with an explanation. Do you think because of all the awful garbage they said before this, you're kind of, like, Already, already, like, out of it because of that? I think that might be a factor. Because, you know, I I feel like this really happened to me with Bender in particular, because before Bender talks about his abuse... He has, like, made a lot of shitty references and has assaulted, like, you know, people and things like that. And he's, he's done things that I, I, you know, would have written him off literally four minutes into the movie. And then he goes hard on, you know, his, his you know, the abuse that he's gone through and shit like that. And while I'm very, you know, I want to say, like, oh, you know, like, I get it, like, that sucks, but it still doesn't excuse the shit that you just said to a girl, like, literally moments prior. Uh And, yeah, I mean, that's kind of also, I don't know, I do think that there, things could have, I feel like, I don't know, I also find, I find a lot of, I feel like in that movie, and I don't know if, if John Hughes movies suffer from this in general, or if it's just specific to this moment, I find the delivery of things to be very... Like, I feel like there are, like, two modes in the way that it's written. I feel like there are, like, the very, like, the attempts at organic ways that teens speak and using slang and things like that. And then when it would try to get deep, I found the writing to shift. Mm -hmm. Think about it, because it goes from, like, you know, kids just kind of having banter and shit like that in a way that I found to be fairly realistic. To, like, you know, when you grow up, your heart dies. And, and like, it... I don't know. You, you go from watching, like, a conversation to watching a stage play. Yeah. That might be it. You know, like, every one of the characters at that scene does all but hold up... Does everything but hold up a skull and starts to look quiet. I, I think that's what it is. A bit, yeah. Yeah, like, I think that's what it is, where... I think there's a way to hit those beats that The Breakfast Club was trying to hit, but in a way that teens would have that exchange with each other. Yeah, I feel like this is it. Yes, yes. I think the exchange with Sean and Ellie, where Ellie is talking about how she cuts and Sean is talking about how he steals, and, like, that works. And he's being so inelegant. Yes, he's clunky. (laughs) He's saying shit he shouldn't. You know, she's giving very, like, you know, succinct answers. Like, that, I think that's what The Breakfast Club lacks, where I feel like it it operates as a unit sometimes too much. I feel like in this episode we saw one-on-one or, like, 
we saw one-on-one -on -one conversations. We saw like three people having a conversation. We saw four or five, like, you know, we saw combinations of the group talking to each other. The breakfast club kind of felt like they were always working as a unit or always interacting with everyone within the unit. Okay, I, I think I've actually, I think I do have the perfect example. Yeah. Like, like yeah, it's the way, it, you know, Ellie's like, it's a way for me to control, like, control at least some of my pains. Like, makes sense. Then the, like, John Hughes version is like, yeah, it's a way for me to control some of my pains. Like, makes sense. Now, I've prepared a speech. Let me just pull it out of my pocket. It's four pages single-spaced. <laughs> yeah! But that's, like, that's what it is. Because it's, like, it's, like, let, somebody... Let me go to my prepared remarks. No, but, like, that's... But I think that's how The Breakfast Club felt for me, where a kid would say something, and suddenly, like, a kid would say something with similar amount of, like, intensity and, like, page length. Yeah. It, it would it would be like that, where it, it just didn't really feel like a conversation. <laughs> it, it didn't feel like a progression to revealing the deep shit about yourself because you feel comfortable in this space, even if this space is a weird space to feel comfortable. Yeah. It just felt like everyone just dumping, which, no. Like, there is really just kind of no ramp up. It's just kind of like, all right, you go, and now I'm going to lay out everything, and now I'm going to lay out everything, and now we're going to have a weird... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and I'll agree. I, I can agree that, like, you know, you get towards the end of the day, like, exhaustion sets in, you're willing to, like, talk to strangers. But I do yeah. think it's one of my issues a lot of times with movies and whatnot is, like, everybody is kind of on the same wavelength of sharing. Yes, 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 yes. Like,. It's the same thing with, like, sex and, like, movies and whatnot, where everybody's pretty much on the same wavelength, like, well, I guess this is the time we have sex. Yeah. And it's just, like, that's not how people work. People, like, sharing, and because those are very intimate things. Yeah. <laughs> like, some people are like, yo, I'm happy for everyone sharing. I am not there yet. Yeah. And I think, yeah, yeah. and I think that's, that's a failure of how The Breakfast Club portrays this type of stuff. This episode would have been so much worse if Toby's just like, uh, if like Toby overheard Ellie and Sean just turn to Jimmy and was just like, Jimmy, I miss your friendship. We used to be like, we used to be bros and now we're not. Yeah, or like he jumps in and is like, you know, you're talking about control. Well, I didn't feel like I had any control when my parents divorced, like, <laughs> and here's everything about that. But like, I feel like that's how the Breakfast Club kind of operates with this type of stuff where it's like everyone gives something. And even if you had a character who spent a bit of the movie with, like, selective mutism, even she eventually, like, reveals a shit ton. And, like, it's just, like, like I said, like, when you come out of that movie, like, pretty much everyone has put every single card on the table, as opposed to realistically what would happen, which is, like, you'll get snippets. But, you know, and somebody might, like, a vendor character might just say, you know what, I got nothing to fucking lose, I don't give a shit, here's everything about me, because what the fuck do I have to lose? You know, you will have a character who may just say everything, but not everyone will. Or they could say anything. Hey. Wait, is that a Cameron Crowe movie, or... I don't know. Whatever. Um... I knew what you were trying to do, and I appreciated it. I, I do want to say, like, I like the idea of prepared remarks, John Hughes, Sean, being like, and sincerely, Sean Cameron, dictated <laughs> but not read. She's like, who did you dictate this to? Tracker. 
This is rife with typos. <laughs> <laughs> I cars, he's a brilliant man. The the the, the word is past him. <laughs> um but yeah, like um this there is like and also like I just feel like there is joy in this and when they all are kind of like hanging out once they get everyone together they do a lot of like dancing through the halls like a lot of things having the same beat to like kind of that chase scene in the hallways of the breakfast club and like the sense that they're all kind of like in a group kind of doing weird things as a unit weird poses together as a unit I was oh my god they had like you know smartphones now this would just be like selfie central oh yeah for sure it, it actually like oh my it, god i want to page michael chuck instagram that would be very good but like that would i'm also thinking about like them i'm imagining like the snapchat stories from the <laughs> five of them and it'd be real good <laughs> it'd be really good um but uh oh my god that's a fan fiction. That'd be really oh cute. My God. No, that's like that's a fan fiction with Snapchat, like them, but with like modern technology and yeah. modern like things. With it would eliminate a lot of the tension out of the first episode of the series of the whole series, though. It would, but I just do a quick find my phone. Let's go beat up a pedophile. Yeah, right. But I do think in this case, it it, it would be a moment where the technology aspect of it it, it is kind of fun imagining. Who would do the best finds? <laughs> hmm. Oh, God. Hmm. Um, Jimmy, maybe? Jimmy yeah. would probably have really good vines. But, like, Jimmy would have... I feel like Jimmy would have vines that are... You know what? I bet you him and Marco do really weird, absurdist vines. <laughs> <laughs> Marco would have great vines. Marco would have great vines. Because Marco also Marco is like... He's really good at TikTok, I feel. Yes, yes. Because he, he also has enough friends that, like, he could, like, he has, like, a big pool of talent he can go off of. Right. That'd be really cute. Yeah. Aww. He's so cute. I love this. Um, have we gotten to the uh, Spike and Radish part yet? No, we're and still no, no, no. We're, we're, yeah, so they're, like, in the hallways. They find kind of, like, a basement area. Um... They tease Toby because he's, like, super... He's freaking out. They're gonna, like, make noises and things like that. Um, they find it... And Jimmy finds an open closet. He pulls... He grabs custodial keys and they kind of use the elevators to go onto the roof. Um, and Toby's terrified. He's scared of heights. He's really freaked out. Um, everyone kind of makes their way up with no hesitation. and He's the last one to kind of go and he's really sheepish about it. And once he gets on the roof, he just, like, clings to the floor. <laughs> Everyone's like walking. He's just like flat. I mean, my dad. In my notes, R.I.P. Toby. Yeah. It's really it's it's very fun. Um, Jimmy finds a necklace because like they're like, oh, I wonder if other kids have been up here. Jimmy finds a necklace and he's like, oh man, there's definitely some people who've been up here. Um, and he gets. I, I would love to see if like you could go back and find out if that necklace was dropped by somebody on that roof. From, like, Degrassi Junior High or something. Oh, that would be fun. Ooh. That would be really fun. I'm not... Degrassi Deepest Dive. That would be such a... That, wow. That's a real deep cup, cut, if that's the case. But, um... <laughs> but, um... He, he gifts... 
the necklace to Hazel. He's like, yeah, I think you would like, like, you know, it's pretty, I think you would like this. Um, and you know what? It's better looking than, um, when he gave Ashley jewelry, so. Or was it I'm she giving the necklace? I that he picked up that grimy-ass necklace off of, like, a dirty-ass roof and just put it directly on Hazel. Like, didn't wipe it off, no nothing, just picked it up off the ground and then put it on her neck. And she, like, was okay with this. <laughs> Two things. One, it was not Jimmy that gave that necklace to Ashley. It was the other way around. My bad. Two, I 100% believe a teenage boy would do that. <laughs> I 100% believe a teenage boy would do that but not that Hazel would just be okay with it like yeah. I would see a child pick up a necklace and try and put it on my neck and be like mm, not yet I'll put it in my pocket though thanks you're you like dip out and you're like thank you <laughs> so, so yeah so, see I attempted stuff like that when I was younger and I, like, I now, like, was I misreading it? I'm like, okay, this is just gross, this ground necklace, or was no, it just, like... nasty. Okay. So it's not it like... It was also, like, in a puddle, so it was, like, it had to have been wet. Uh, I mean, you know, who knows where, like, what that necklace had seen. True enough. Um, but yeah, so, so after that, he kind of leans in and they kiss. So, which I mean, like, they've had quite, they've had quite a bit of, uh, chemistry, I feel like, leading up to this, so, you know. It was, it was kind of nice to see a couple to get together and it wasn't, like, them cheating or anything skinny like that. (laughs) Right, just cute cash interactions. Yeah, like, it's fine. Nice. Thank you. Finally. Um, But yeah, so they kiss. um, And then they, like, they have a good laugh. And then, like, they're like... And then Jimmy's like, you kissed Toby. And she's like, yeah, I did. (laughs) (laughs) It's... It was, like, really... I don't know. Like, it, it goes back to kind of, like, the characterization of Jimmy that I like. Where, you know, he is a nudge... He is somebody who's, like, not, who's gonna make, he's gonna make some snide remarks, but ultimately he's a good boy. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of this episode shows that type of Jimmy, where he is kind of playful, and, you know, he teases, but he, but, you know, if he knows that he's crossing a line, he tries to ease up. Um, and I, I really enjoyed this, this moment getting together. I thought it was very endearing. Yeah. yeah, Jimmy's just a good, cute, rowdy boy at heart. He so, is. He so nice. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, Sean and Ellie are hanging out, and Ellie sits next to Sean. She's carrying her bag. Um, Sean mentions, like, you carry that bag with you everywhere. Yeah, and Ellie's like, oh, yeah, it's a psycho girl thing. Emphasis on psycho, which is, like, it's kind of, it's hard to hear, obviously. I don't like my daughter Ellie being down on herself, but I do appreciate, as somebody who is mentally ill, somebody who tries to, like, ring the alarm before the other person does when it comes to this type of stuff, to be like, no, I'm fucking crazy. Like, be aware. I need you to know. Like, I am I'm not... putting no. my own warning label on me. <laughs> yeah, like, 
Like, I am not neurotypical. Please know this. Before you continue engaging, I am not neurotypical. And I, <laughs> and I, I do appreciate that aspect of her where she, you know, I feel like she is a very... I don't know, like, I with Ellie, we don't necessarily see this piece of her, but, like, she's so research-driven and everything. She, I feel like she's probably done a shit ton of research about, like, herself and her own things that she's going through that I feel like she is very much in her head with this type of stuff. At least she seems like the kind of character who would be. That I appreciate that she kind of puts up these walls because I could see herself kind of looking at these things and being like, Either I'm gonna get hurt or somebody's gonna get hurt because of this, and I need to be, yeah. I need to set the stage now before anything happens. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, he he takes it in stride. He's just like, okay, I mean, and you know, he says that she's cute, and then like in response, she like quickly starts like flicking rubber band against her wrist, um, and they both then just kind of flop on this floor. Um, and this, I don't know, like, ugh. This part I always really remembered as a kid, but I think it really moved me mm. in, in a way that I do. I teared up. Yeah, like, I get very emotional about this scene. Like, right now my heart is swelling. But there's something about it that just, I don't know, really, they really nailed it. And I don't really know what it is in this case, but they did. And they just kind of flop on the floor they kind of notice that, like, you know, neither of them are scared of each other. Because, you know, Sean is the big bad boy, and Ellie is the girl who, you know, has has rumors that are true relating to her mental health struggles. And, you know, she they both lay down, she kind of raises her wrist over them, um, and she shows some of the cuts that she has on her wrists, and he takes the time to gently touch them as he makes his way up toward her hand and holds her hand. And I... I fucking it's melted. so cute! I died! I fucking melted! Oh! Because oh. it's just... It's unbelievably gentle and kind. Yeah, it, it, you know what it is? It's, there's a lot going on here. I'm very emotional about it for many reasons. But there's something about showing, I feel like there is this fear. And I understand where this fear comes from, but when we talk about self-harm, you know, it's, you don't want to glorify it and things like that. But at the expense of not wanting to glorify it, we rarely show these moments of gentleness toward somebody who has hurt themselves in this way. And this is one of the few times I feel like I've seen in, in mass media specifically that shows this gentleness toward, toward someone's body that has cuts and scars and things like that in this way. And, and it was also, I think, the casualness with which Sean did it. Yeah. Because you could just sort of tell that it wasn't, like, necessarily intentional or, like, calculated. It was just like, yeah, I'm going to touch her scars, and then I'm just going to reach up and grab her hand. Like, yeah. it's as simple as that. And I think just how casual it was just made it that much more of a gut punch for me. Yeah. yeah. There's no, like grandstanding like look at how great i am for like being able to accept you it's just acceptance yeah there's no like shonda rhimes level speech about it or anything like that it's just 
all right. Like, and I think that's the thing. It's like, I think that I understand not everyone's going to feel that way if they know that, that somebody they, they like or care about or are friends with, whatever, do that. But I do think that those people do exist and I've met those people. And it's, there's something about it that has so much more weight than that speech or than like, you know, that really emotional, like kissing the scars or like something like really grandiose like that. Like, it's just so... Mwah! One time, <laughs> one time I chef kiss at Degrassi writers and it's for this. I mean... You know, they they have their moments. Yes, they do. They do. But, like, when they nail it, they fucking nail it. Yeah, like, I don't know who it was that, that really was was pushing for, right, doing this self-harm aspect justice, but, like, I, I thank them every day because not only was this so, so impactful for me as a kid, but, like, it's something I've thought about even when I haven't been re-watching the series. It's something that gave me, like, you know, such joy watching it now for this podcast. Like, it's just so well done. Like, because the messaging I got from that scene of Sean, like, you know, he touches the scars gently as if, like, you know, he acknowledged them. And it's just kind of like, I'm still okay with this, then moves up to her hand. Yeah. And it's just like, fuck, that's so well done. It's just so good. So. Jesus. Um, so that beautiful moment happens. Meanwhile, Toby gets the confidence to walk. He walks toward the edge of the roof. Um, he's like, you know, he's overcoming his fear of heights. And the way that he does it is he, like, takes a rock. Okay, well, no. Uh, he's not walking. He's like tummy sliding. He's like tummy sliding. Yeah, yeah, that's true. He's like army crawling. He's across army the crawling. Door. Yeah, but like he he the way that he kind of is helping himself like overcome it is he gets to like the edge and he sees that there's a basketball hoop right underneath him and he takes a rock and he like drops the rock through the basketball hoop and he's like cool <laughs> like he's just like oh okay. <laughs> I've never been this tall before. This yeah, like, I feel like that's what it is. It's like, yeah, okay, okay, I get it. Yeah, yeah nice, cool. Like, it, it's pretty endearing in, in, uh, I don't know, it's good. It, it's a good little it moment. It's endearing, yeah, it's a nice moment. Yeah, um. He, he just turns around and like, hey guys, don't okay, my fi- Oh, oh. Yeah, like, oh, uh, hey. I am now the fifth wheel. I am now the spare. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, buddy. Um, meanwhile, uh, Radish and Snake walk out of school, and Radish is like, you know, I'll fill you in on Monday, but we have some big discipline issues, and, you know, we're trying to crack down on them. And Snake is like, is that why you're doing Saturday detentions? And Radish is like, yep, that's why. Um, and he he's and Snake's really concerned because he's like, you know, why are we acting like the police? Like, it shouldn't be our job to be controlling kids, which... One of the only times that I agree with Snake as an educator, I'm like, yes, Snake, you're right, yeah. He says, teach them, yes. Reprimand them, yes. Control them, no. Yeah, which is a really valuable thing because, let's face it, administrators do operate a lot of the time in schools as, like, as another police. Slash, you have police in schools, in the U.S. at least. 
So there is a bit of a, you know, there is this presence that happens often, sometimes overt, sometimes more in discipline handlings. And so you have Radich, you know, having this control, struggling with control, and this is how he's doing it, and Snake, you know, taking issue with it, and then also points out, like, you know, there are good kids in there. Like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> like, these are not kids that need Saturday detentions. <laughs> and and, and Radich is like, yeah, but Sean's there. <laughs> he told me to go to hell, and like... <laughs> It's just like, he's like, here, let me just borrow those glasses real quick, puts them on, and looks at, like, Radish over his own glasses. <laughs> right? It's just like, dude, come on. Um, it's just like, and, oh my god, it'd be amazing. He's like, and why is Ellie there? And, and Radish is like, I honestly don't know. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> that was the thing. Like, we'll get to why Ellie is there, but there was a part of me that's like, did he actually know what was going on? Or was he just ready at face value to be like, man, I was just in a haze this week, just throwing Saturday detentions everywhere. Guess it's stuck on Ellie Nash. Yeah, I guess there were five kids, huh? <laughs> um, and then... He's like, they might have to vote about something, so I should probably lead them with an odd number. <laughs> Um, and then, and I can't control Jay after school hours, forget it. <laughs> Jay, like, setting, giving Jay a Saturday attention is giving yourself disappointment. Yeah, right? It's just like, Jay, stay after school, he like, he's out. Like, <laughs> he's like, I left by seventh period. Yeah, like, what do you, I didn't even go to school today, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Jay... Hey, head to the principal's office. You know what? I'm out of here. That's fifth period. You made it longer than you usually do. <laughs> Good effort today, Jay. <laughs> the restorative oh. practices of Jay. Um, Why does he get to leave? Well, kid, that bar is set very low. <laughs> Someday we, you will understand. If we keep Jay out of prison another day, we're doing well. <laughs> Um, Snake tries to be like, you know, look, like, this is the first Saturday, I haven't felt like dying in a very long time, and life is too fucking short for you to be giving these children Saturday detentions. Um, of course, after Snake says that, Radich looks to the roof, and Toby skedaddles and tells them- <laughs> The jig is up! Yeah, he's just like, gotta go! Gotta go! Um, and they run back down, um- they try to go to the classrooms that Radish assigned to them, but Sean is freaking out because his class is locked, and then he's just like, you know what, whatever, it's fine, it's fine, like, you know. <laughs> I can't get in any more trouble. <laughs> yeah, he's like, whatever, damage's done! And Jimmy decides to look past his issues with Sean. He uses the key to unlock it, and then kind of runs. He throws the key, like, he loses the keys in the middle of the hall. He contemplates going to grab them, um, and just kind of leaves them there. Radich then walks into the hall, steps on the keys, and puts the kids in um, in a room again. Um, he then says that they have, and then he's like, you know, you guys gotta tell me who did it. Um, they all don't say anything. He then escalates the punishment to three weeks of Saturday detention. Um, and Jimmy then starts to confess, but Toby then says that he did it. Um, and Radich then is just like, well, okay. Y'all can go home. <laughs> what? About what time is it now, do we say? Like, two? Three? Yeah, I got the vibe that it was two or three. I like yeah, definitely earlier than they were supposed to, probably. Yeah. 
Oh, I was about to say, I hope they went to the dot after this, but issues. Yeah. But, um, you know, they, you know, they, they all are like, oh, shit, we survived. Hazel calls for a group hug. Ellie's really excited. She kind of grabs her bag for a camera. And as she grabs it, uh, the recorder falls out and presses play right where Sean is confessing to stealing shit. Um... Well, no, he's, he, it's not when he's stealing shit. I don't oh, believe. sorry, what is it's it? It's, like, when they're talking about, like, you're not scared of me. Oh, shit, okay. Yeah, it's when they're on the roof, I think. Yeah. My bad. Um, Sean grabs the recorder, and Jimmy's like, you know, you were recording us, like, what's going on? And Ellie confesses that it's for a co-op piece. Um, they all are like, what's it, like, you know, what do you mean? Is it on detention and things? And Sean fills in the blank and he's like, oh, you're reporting on, like, theft at Degrassi. He then takes the cassette that's in the recorder and crushes it with his boot. Ellie is visibly upset because obviously this Saturday detention now means much more than she planned on having it meaning. Yeah. Um, it's Monday at school, Jimmy, Hazel, and Toby say hi to each other, they also say hi to Sean, um, Ellie approaches Sean, she apologizes, um, and she's, she says it quite well, she says, like, you know, I want the truth to be, like, our exchange on what happened on the roof, like, that's what I want to have be what's on the record, basically. Yeah. And she gives him a cassette. And she's like, this is the actual cassette you want to destroy. This is the one where, where you said, you know, you confessed. Um, and, you know, his response is just like, you know, do I, like, you know, do I freak you out, basically. Um, and in response, they hold hands and Ellie smiles. Yeah. I'm worm. It's really cute. Like, I just appreciate how they showed that the Saturday detention and, like, their interactions that happened during it actually had, like, a legitimate sort of, not repercussion, the right word, but, like, an effect on their yeah. actual day-to-day school lives. Yeah. Very cute. Yeah, it was nice, and I guess that also is what... what is the advantage of this being a TV show, where in the movie, I understand why you weren't necessarily going to get a scene of them in the school interacting with each other. In Degrassi, like, of course you can have a scene like this. Uh. It makes it very, it makes it very gratifying, and it, it gives the episode, for an episode that doesn't really function like most Degrassi episodes, it makes it still be tethered to the universe. Like, I feel like if it didn't have that scene, you could kind of write off the episode entirely and kind of be like, well, well, that was kind of weird, whatever, and kind of move on. But I do think this has um, a very good vibe to it that kind of helps it, even though it's a bit unconventional, it still helps it have a reason to exist within the season, which I like. Mm -hmm. But, I'm worm. Yeah, no, it's getting obvious A+. Like, this might be my, it, I think this might be my favorite episode of the season. It's so charming. It's a good one. It's so charming. I, I think accents will happen, uh, no, I think it, it's all wrong accents will happen, <laughs> never mind. But, like, just, I think it does its job so well. Um, in fact, like, it reminds me uh, very much of somehow of like what I feel about the Beatles a lot, 
where I've mm. heard people influenced by the Beatles, like, write better pop music. Mm-hmm. So it just makes the old, like, the Beatles song sound so outdated. So that's what it does to The Breakfast Club, which is getting a triple F. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a very... Yeah, no, I agree. It takes elements, obviously, like, you know, obviously you can see where the inspiration for The Breakfast Club is, but it has so much more heart and so much more joy in it than, like, I feel like in many ways The Breakfast Club is fucking joyless. Like, not just the themes of it, but also just, like, the way that it kind of plods through, it, it doesn't particularly... I mean, even the themes of it and the takeaways of it, it doesn't really give very much room for joy in it. There's not a lot of energy in it. No, there there is, like, none. And that's what always really confused... That was the most confusing part to me, because I feel like there's so much energy in this episode. It's only 22 minutes. There's so many shenanigans happening, so many fun little moments happening, so much bonding happening. I would have kind of bumped this up to an S rank, though, if... They got to have a dance sequence. <laughs> that would be cute. Like, there's not enough dancing at Degrassi. There really isn't. Yeah. Uh, I agree. But I, I also like how it has... I don't know. It is interesting to see it as a Breakfast Club reference. Pastiche? Pastiche, yeah. Because, like, I feel like while there were some things that were direct references... It seemed like it didn't want to waste its time doing things to shot for shot. Yeah. It felt like they really were trying to say, like, let's take the the the, the uh, concept of it and let's apply it to our universe as opposed to let's have them act out, like, act out the Breakfast Club, like, as if, like, they might as well be doing a stage performance. Yeah. Um, no... <laughs> Dahlia loves your lap but um yeah no I I really enjoyed like I said like I really enjoyed this episode as a kid and I really enjoy it enjoyed revisiting it as an adult which I'm very happy about oh you're snuggling yeah she's snuggling oh she's so cute love a good snuggle girl can you get a picture of this yes I can oh never oh. mind something scare her um so uh, do y'all have anything else to say Good yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I'm glad that we were able to come together for an episode that we ow, genuinely ow, ow. enjoyed. <laughs> As Frank gets love nips from Mistalia. <laughs> uh, so, just gonna quick go to character rankings then. Yeah, let's go. Uh, everybody's on the on the rise. Like, this is just a good episode all around. Even Radish is on the, the rise for just being a goofball. Um, a goofy Swiss ball. Um, and uh yeah nice um shall we go to recommendations sure all right so this is where we recommend stuff that is related or adjacent um or things that we're just liking um i don't have too much i would say don't watch the breakfast club club don't fucking bother fuck the breakfast club (laughs) anti-recommendation 
Yeah, my anti-recommendation, because, like, I feel like if you want something that feels like what I would wanted that movie to be, just watch this episode. I also feel like this episode's good. Like, I think that it once again showcases how great Degrassi is talking about self-harm in the context of Ellie. I think that it gives you some moments of romance that are very sweet. So if you're into that element of it, you've got two ships that sail in this episode. Um, if you, like, you know, if you just kind of want to watch teens having fun, this episode has it as well. I think it's just a great episode to watch. Um, that said, um, Sean and Ellie as a ship makes me think of a song calling Freaking You Out by Antarctica Vespucci. So if you want to make a, make a fan mix, that might be a song you want to go off of. Um... But I also think that while we're talking about The Breakfast Club, we're talking about the issues of The Breakfast Club, we're talking about the issues of John Hughes as a director, I think that it's also really important if you haven't read it or if you need, uh, or if you haven't read the article or if you just, you know, have it in a while and feel like you want to revisit it, I think that Molly Ringwald's article for The New Yorker called What About The Breakfast Club, um, which is about revisiting the movies of my youth in the age of hashtag me too, is a really important uh, article to check out because it talks about her experiences being a part of these movies, their presence in pop culture, as well as her relationship with them now as she has gotten older and has been able to be more critical toward these roles and toward these movies. Um, and I think that it's a very important article to read for many reasons, but I do also really appreciate this idea of growth and being able to reflect on your past and trying to figure out your piece of it, as well as understanding the faults of the people around you, some of which were people who were critical to your career. Um, I think that's a concept that any of us can revisit in general, but I think is really important when we're content creators or are in, in various ways and we understand that there are people who are within these spaces that are not good people. So I think that's an article worth exploring. I'm definitely going to reread it after we're done recording. Oh. Jess? Um, my recommendation for this episode, I just got finished playing through, um, at least one, um, route of Night in the Woods. It's a single player action, not action, like adventure platformer that came out in 2017, so I'm extremely late. Um, but it came out on Switch, like, when the Switch dropped, so I couldn't not play it. Um, and it's really sweet. It's about a um a cat named may who comes back home from her sophomore year of college um after dropping out and just comes back home after not having seen people for two years and it's like her noticing how her town has changed reconnecting with old friends and so it has sort of the same vibe that i guess this episode in breakfast club do in that you know you've got a bunch of people like kind of a, a ragtag motley crew coming together to have some feeling jams and it's also kind of elevated in that there's also some, some weird crap going around in the town that you sort of slowly find out more about as the game goes on. And while this crap is happening, May's relationships with her friends are, like, evolving and changing, usually for the better. Um, you can actually, like, 
know, you have control over it and that you pick out responses to conversations. And I don't know, it's just, it's really sweet. Uh, a really, really nice feel-good game. Um, everyone should play it. Everyone. It, it's like almost on every platform at this point. Like, you have no excuse. <laughs> it's on Steam. If you have Steam, it's on Linux. It's on Mac, PS4. I think it's on uh, 360. Or no, what is it? Expo now? And then it's on Yes, Switch, the Expo. You know. The Expo, yeah. Oh, know. yes. The Everyone Expo. knows what I say when, when I say Expo. If you yes. play video games, you know what an Expo is. <laughs> Obviously. But, <laughs> not, a, not an intended sting on Donnie, but I guess it got you. Yes, it did. Um, <laughs> I have I have watched that game. I I don't play video games. It's, I, it is a fault of me, but I did, I did watch pieces of it because one of Gwyn's siblings was playing it over a holiday break of some sort, and I really did enjoy what I've watched, so it's definitely worth yeah. checking out. The, the dialogue is probably the strongest part for me, just because it's, it's so real. It's like how we are 20-somethings in kind of mid-19, oh, not 19, mid-2000s. like 2000s have been speaking to each other in weird memes and weird half-meant insults and stuff like that. It's it's nice. It's really good. Yeah. Frank, do you have a recommendation? Um, speaking of video games, I've been playing through Bioshock again. Ooh. Um, I still love that game. Uh, it's the best use of Ayn Rand's philosophies. Way better than reading yeah. Atlas Shrugged or any of the other nonsense books. <laughs> Way better than actually reading it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I just, like, I, I've, it's probably one of my favorite games, um, though now playing it after doing several podcasts, talking, like, dissecting media, like, there is, like, one problem that, like, the one coded gay character is a brutal psychopath, and yeah. that's not great, but, yeah. yeah. So, besides that, like, Sizable Flying the Ointment, it's a wonderful game, and I still really like it. <laughs> um, and you know what? Speaking on The Breakfast Club, I'm going to recommend Breakfast Cereal. Because fuck it, name one that's bad. No, I can get behind. My favorite type variation on sh on Cheerios is like when they have the Olympics one, where it's like the regular, the honey nut, and the frosted all together. Oh yeah, those are really good. Yeah, I like that. I'm a big fan of Reese's Puffs, though. I assume the only flaw yes! is. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. Though I will say that I assume the fatal flaw of that is like if you have a peanut allergy, obviously you can't get can't have fun with that one, but. It is good. I mentioned that, and, like, I mentioned that to, like, my employees and my directors a couple days ago, and they all, like, screamed one very specific commercial. It's <laughs> 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 for Reese's for breakfast. It's just, like, no, it was, like, a, like, I, there was, I guess there was, like, a commercial of some sort that I just could not remember that was, like, a extended song, and they all knew it. 
It was like, it was fascinating, but most importantly, one of my directors who has a terrible peanut allergy also knew it and like <laughs> wanted to sing it. <laughs> it was, it was a joy. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I, I can't think of much else. Yeah, I don't really know. I mean, there's a cereal for everybody. Yeah. Like, I just really like breakfast cereals. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, with that being said, Jazz, you've made it through. Wasn't yeah. that difficult this time? Yeah. <laughs> it really wasn't that difficult, especially considering the other, what, two episodes I've been on now? Yeah, have Jesus. Been way more difficult. Oh, right. God. Well, yeah, you survived Culture Day with us. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> oh, wait, three episodes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, are there ways that people can continue the conversation with you? Yeah, if you would like to see me scream into the void, um, <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Jazzaray, J-A-Z-Z-A-R-R-A-Y-E. I've also gotten like slightly more active on Tumblr again, um, which is the same username, just without the E on the end. Um, yeah, I have a short story in an anthology coming out that y'all have heard me talk your ears off about um, every single time I've been up here lately. You um, should promote it, though. are done. <laughs> pre-orders are done, but you can still get it on, um, I think, Amazon. Um, it's available for ebook. I know you can get it for Kindle. Um, and then, you know, if you don't want to buy it, just ask your local library for a copy. And when you read it, it's on Goodreads. Give it a really nice review, too. Yeah. Talk about how much you liked my story in particular. Yes, please specifically <laughs> spotlight Jazz's story. Very important. If you like it, which you probably will. I think so. I, I want Not to toot my own horn or anything. I want to believe that our listener base would enjoy that story. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Definitely check it out. Yeah. Yeehaw. Um, I don't, I don't know where that came from. I'm sorry. It's been a day. <laughs> um, if you want to keep in touch with the podcast, you, there's a couple ways you can do that. You can email us at ihopepod at gmail.com. Um, you can send us questions, comments, concerns. You can send us any potential applications to be co-hosts. Um, if you are interested in doing that, just keep in mind we have a slight queue of sorts that we have for our episodes. Um, if you are interested in anything from Season 3, please email us as soon as possible. This season is going to end sooner than rather than later. Um, also, if you are interested in future, like, further on series, don't hesitate to, uh, seasons, don't hesitate to email us. We'll definitely make a note for you and, and contact you when we get closer to recording some of those later episodes. Um, if you want to send us any audio files or text relating to you how an episode, the series, or a character has influenced you, please don't hesitate to do that as well. I know there's a couple people who have been, like, sitting on some of them and thinking about submitting them, and please just send them. Like you, like we've said before, you can be anonymous, that's fine. Um, we're also interested in looking into transcribing the podcast. This is something that I don't mind taking on myself, but if you are somebody who also has interest in that, please also email us, give us some information about your rates and things like that, and we will be in touch. Um, the other ways you can get in contact with us on social media or on our Facebook group, I hope I can make it through podcast, as well as our Twitter at IHopePod. Um, if you want to keep in touch and support the show in other ways, there's a couple ways you can do that. 
Um, don't hesitate to send us coffees. Any coffee that we receive is going toward tech upgrades as well as compensating our guests, as well as um, you sending us ratings and reviews also helps us. We are challenging you guys. Once we hit 20 ratings and or reviews, we're going to go back into the Degrassi archives, uh, watch some Degrassi High, Degrassi Junior High, and begin to give you extra content as a thank you for taking the time to rate and review us as we spray Dahlia um, for being misbehaving. But um, if you want to talk to me individually and see pictures of that little monster, you can follow me at DM is unbreakable on Twitter. I don't have a Twitter, but I do have another podcast called Teen Girl Talk, where we talk about everything that's not John Hughes Smealy's and Degrassi. And with that said, everyone, uh, we hope we can keep making it through and that you're going to be there with us. See you next week. Later. Bye. Bye.